0: Welcome back to another untitled movie review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, Alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, I'm in a soundproof booth for the first time, testing look out the uh, the you audio look like such quality. You're a fancy boy.
1: I know it's it's it's
0: exciting. So um, if you the, look professional, if this no sa- one can comment on your uh, Blu-ray collection anymore, though.
1: Well, no, no, they can because I'm going to be. Bring this back into sort of the main room. This is this isn't for us. This isn't for the regular show. This is more for my
0: Rogers reviews. Right. Roger reviews come before this shitty show. Oh, I just thought you were gonna <laughs> fuck you. Um, I was I was gonna say I wasn't sure if you were gonna use it for everything moving forward. Or no, just, no, uh,
1: I'm just gonna use it more so for the reviews. And and if there's something that we do like that's with. You know, a special guest or something like that, that I I might, you know, switch because this is more for um, I'm on my laptop as I'm recording. This is all inside
0: how the sausage is made. Um, this is what you came to the Suicide Squad review for, to hear about Eric's soundproof booth he built. Yeah, so I'm bringing my desktop uh, into uh,
1: this booth.
0: Um, okay, I just cool. wanted
1: to test the sound because I hadn't done any recordings on it. Yeah, well,
0: you sound good to me. We'll We'll see how it sounds after everything's edited and put up. But yes, today we are reviewing in Eric's uh fancy green and black soundproof booth. I'm at home in my den, but Eric's in this fancy booth. We are reviewing James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, uh, which will be released on August the fifth tomorrow, um, on HBO Max and in theaters. Um, and it's, it's not going PVOD here in Canada, right? It's all theaters only.
1: Yeah. So it will be screening, uh, where theaters are opened, uh, starting in the evening, uh, on Thursday fifth, the yeah. and then it'll be, uh, released throughout, uh, Canada, uh, theatrically only on, uh, August 6th.
0: Yeah. So Warner brothers, um, with their previous HBO max releases here in Canada, when theaters weren't open, we had the option to rent their films for twenty four ninety nine. Um. They, because theaters are open uh, across Canada right now, uh, they have removed that, so you do have to go to a theater to see The Suicide Squad if you want to see it here in Canada. Um, it stars a, a plethora of names. You have Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, Viola Davis, Jai Courtney, Peter Cabaldi, uh, David Dasmalkian, Dasmalkian, Malchian. Uh, Dasmalchyn, see, we even practiced this, Eric, and I still fuck it up. Um, At least you're trying, Daniela Mel Melkor um, Melcure. Eric, okay, now you're getting into the nitty gritty of like I got Greedy? that pretty. I got that. I did that pretty well. Um, we'll see what Alex says. Alex yeah. will be the final judge. Uh, Michael Rooker, Alice Braga, Pete Davidson, uh, Nathan Fillion. I support his civilian pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> They're so trying dumb. to get uh, Sean Gunn, Fula Borg. Um, uh, who else am I missing here? Taika Waititi. Uh, Taika Waititi. Steve, is, you're gonna Agi. 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 Steve Agi and more. Um, I promise one day I will be able to pronounce people's names correctly, and we even practiced it. If you guys would, uh, th- we are professionals sometimes, and I still fuck it up. Um, Eric, how are you doing? I'm you the- missed the last draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Your first one out of 97 episodes, you just bailed and you're like, I don't want to talk to Tim Geddes. i out of here. Yeah, what a loser <laughs> that guy, you know,
1: being uh, on, on Forbes uh, 30, 30, under, 30 under 30 list yeah. and all that stuff. It's yeah. too bad I couldn't see out of my eyes and I had a splitting I know. I, headache. I, I'm glad I you're feeling u- better. I totally would have been useless to you guys oh, for no, that no, no. episode. I, and
0: I'm glad you got some rest and um and that you're feeling better. But yeah, if you guys want to check that out, our 97th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast is available right now where Tim Geddes uh, of Kind of Funny filled in for Eric and we had a lovely chat about similar topics Eric and I have all the time, but um, it was interesting to get Tim's perspective on it all. Um, So a really cool episode. Go check that out. But yes, today we are here to review James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. The sort of sequel? Reboot. To Suicides, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Suic- <laughs> Suicide Squad. Um, Eric, let's get right into it. What is this version of The Suicide Squad? Well, Matt, that I think is a... Very good question, because as you mentioned, is it a sequel?
1: Is it a reboot? Is it something in between that it's kind a of, bit of both. is an amalgamation of David Ayer's Suicide Squad? Because it does bring in characters from uh, the not the Ayer cut, but the Ayer theatrical release uh, that we got a few years ago and might have been one of the biggest disappointments from the DCEU and. Um, And partly because that film, the David Ayer cut, uh, was tampered with. And the reason for that movie being tampered with, partly, was because of the success of Guardians of the Galaxy on the MCU side of things. You know, having this ragtag team of characters that don't always conform to authority or traditional conventions of what a superhero is uh, became this global box office success and because and of, at the
0: time, the DC movies were kind of people were starting to turn on them for being so dark all the time, right? Dark, brooding, yeah. and
1: so kind of self-indulgent and precious, specifically with, yeah. uh, you know, the the Snyder uh, entries with Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice, specifically. Um, And so with Guardians, you also saw a lighter tone. There was a comedic edge to it. And so in post-production for Suicide Squad, the film was re-edited to include more humor. There were reshoots. There were conversations about Jared Leto acting badly on set, which he's done on other productions as well. Um, And then the film was released, and it kind of all showed in this kind of disjointed, um, completely uh, reprehensible and obnoxious. Piece of um superhero movie making that was supposed to be a fun blockbuster, but it was also... this Frankenstein of a movie yeah. that
0: they they took something that was supposed to be completely different and kind of turned it into something it was not, and then it just didn't work.
1: And ultimately failed. Um yeah. and and it kind of left a sour taste in everybody's mouth that kind of, I guess, was more so you know, audiences seemed to sort of be more forgiving to it because it was a part of the DCEU universe and where critics really did not like the film us included we think it is a I thought uh, it's terrible. Yeah, a just terrible. <laughs> terrible piece of movie making on every level, uh, a complete failure. But there were Now 5 years later though, Eric. There were glimmers later. of hope though. Margot yeah. Robbie was was quite good as Harley Quinn and obviously that is carried on in Birds of Prey and in this film specifically and you know it's done a little bit of justice to her character of Harley Quinn, her performance of that version of Harley Quinn. Um, So with this, what they did, and again, this is all, you know, with sort of how sort of, the online world has changed and also sort of uh, PC culture and and all that kind of stuff kind of plays a part into the making of this movie before even getting into what the film is. James Gunn had some tweets in the past that were um, maybe less than savory, but at the same time, they were being sort of brought up by uh, right-wing conservative types that were uh, trying to trash him because James Gunn is a very outspoken um, sort of liberal pundit when, you know, he's online. He's, you know, a filmmaker, Comedian and sort of, he's just one of those guys that always likes to speak provocateur up. And yeah, provocateur. Too. And he just kind of. Or was, at least. He still is. He, he does yeah. the humble brag thing more so than anything else right now. Um, and so because of that, he was originally fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Um, and. Because of that, that was Warner Brothers uh, gain in that hiring him for the reboot of the Suicide Squad when they were thinking of, you know, bringing on a director like Mel Gibson at one point, uh, you know. To, oh, yeah, to, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, if you're going to copy uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, why not get the guy responsible for doing that? And yeah. obviously that sort of uh, tug of war between DC and Marvel um, kind of. Resolved itself in that Marvel hired James Gunn back for Guardians 3, uh, but... Gunn had already signed a contract to do the Suicide Squad. So he has completed that film now and also has the upcoming uh, Peacemaker series with John Cena, who's also in this film. Um, but essentially, what it boils down to is that you have your Dirty Dozen esque characters uh, that are all anti heroes or villains. And a lot of them are kind of the lesser known characters within the DC EU or just the DC sort of comic canon in general. A lot of them are sort of goofy characters, whether they they be polka dot man or King Shark, um, or again, the detachable kid, yeah, or just lesser known characters like Ratcatcher or Ratcatcher mm-hmm. too, because Ratcatcher in um, the Batman universe is 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 a known villain, um, but they don't really reference him in terms of or sort of that character in the Batman universe. Um, And so with that, sort of the main mission of the story is very similar to the original movie and also uh, John Carpenter's Escape from New York and Escape from L.A., where you have these characters um, sort of. Infiltrating this small island off the coast of South America, and a lot of people will remember um, that the island is actually referenced in Tim Burton's Batman. Vicky Vale uh, takes photos for Time Magazine there, uh, the oh, uh, cool. Cordo uh, Maltese, and, yeah. and that's when like Michael Keaton's character says like, "Oh, you have an eye for photography," and Jack Nicholson's yeah, Joker is yeah, yeah. like, "I love the way you, you know, you capture death. It's so." artistic and all that kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. so that's an interesting little easter egg there but essentially what it boils down to is that they've been assigned to infiltrate this island that has a top secret uh sort of development that's been going on since the end of world war ii and that it's alien in nature uh and they need to sort of get rid of it or cover it up for the government and it's all being spearheaded by uh viola davis's amanda waller um you have a lot of uh comedic sort of undertones and, and trauma-esque sort of splatter effects that very much play into James Gunn's uh, wheelhouse. And it's basically a film that Warner Brothers paid for. It's what you get is what you see. You know, this is this is a James Gunn movie through and through. It's the R-rated version of Guardians
0: of the Galaxy. Yeah, um, I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Right? Yeah,
1: he's allowed to make the movie he wanted to in within the superhero realm for a studio because obviously he also did super which is an indie superhero movie with elliot page and and kevin bacon but which is rated yeah yeah but you know this is him taking basically you know an idea that on on the surface would be almost like a trauma-esque storyline or ripoff of the Dirty Dozen, but he has a hundred million dollar budget and yeah. A-list actors to work with. And also some newcomers and discoveries that are uh really exciting and I think worth talking about. Yeah. Um, and watching this film, I had a a Really, really good time. I, I honestly think this is the best DCEU movie uh, to date. Um, yeah. But Matt, I know you also really like the movie, but you have some um, thoughtful criticisms on why the film yeah. maybe isn't
0: perfect. No, I I think I was perfectly whelmed with the movie, if that makes sense. Like (laughs) I, I think going in, it was like, okay, what will an R rated, you know, James Gunn superhero movie be? And I feel like this accomplishes exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I don't think it ever kind of exceeded my expectations. It never blew me away, but I, I really did have a good time with it. And it kind of just met those expectations and i feel like there is an argument to be made that this is probably easily Easily the best DCEU or Weasley. Um, uh, I just personally going back and thinking about it, I'd have to rewatch it again. Um, Like Birds of Prey, maybe a little bit more. And I don't need to go deep into that because I want to talk about this movie and not Birds of Prey. Um, But you should bring it up as well, because there is the connection of Harley Quinn, obviously, and her going from Birds of Prey, which
1: she was the star of, to going back to an ensemble.
0: Uh, yes and i just loved uh ewan mcgregor's villain of black mask in that movie and i think maybe the difference between the two is like maybe going into birds of prey after th- after the original suicide squad not not expecting much or not knowing what to expect and being pleasantly surprised where i went into this going okay I, I james gunn i loved guardians one and two like i think i know what to expect from this and i got what i expected and i don't think there's anything wrong with that um Uh, I really loved, you know, uh, we talked a lot about this, I think, um, and we're, I think we're on the same page where Idris Elba and John Cena are two guys that we've kind of not, we've been critical of because I think both guys are super likable. Uh, Cena, I've been a, you know, I've seen him forever in WWE. And now that he's trying to do the rock thing and, and, and get into acting, I don't think he's really worked in a lot of the serious stuff that he's been in. And ironically enough, this is a character that I think is playing into that where he's taking himself way too seriously, but then that works on the comedic side of things throughout the movie. And I think John Cena is played to his strengths in this and is, is quite good as peacemaker. And I can kind of see while I don't necessarily need that TV series. Like I think, uh, I, I definitely understand why, you know, they're doing that. And I think John is great in the movie and then going to Idris Elba, who is, I guess the lead in the movie, even though it is a ensemble. Um, I think like a guy we've constantly in reviews of any movie he's been in, been like, I always cheer for Idris Elba. I always like Idris Elba, but I always think that he is in shitty movies or he's not used properly. So it was so wonderful to see kind of like a role for him, especially in a big, you know, action blockbuster where you're like, okay, Idris is awesome in this movie and he's in a good movie. Um, and then there were some surprises with Ratcatcher two and King shark that I think, um, are actually weirdly like the uh, emotional core of the movie and I wasn't expecting those two characters like Ratcatcher 2 wasn't even on my radar like I again I just thought it, again part of the ensemble didn't know much about the character knew it was kind of an obscure Batman villain and then King Shark who I ultimately just thought was going to be Groot again and I mean it is and then getting into that criticism of being I just felt the movie's a little derivative like I've seen this movie twice before in guardians one and two and you put it and i'll latch on to what you said it is an r rated guardians of the galaxy so while that sounds awesome and that is thoroughly enjoyable i just don't think it ever got to a point where i was like oh man this is fantastic it was just like this is really entertaining um but i don't have anything to take from it that i think isn't something I've seen before in those other two guardians movies. I like those other two guardians movies more just because I think I like the world building of the MCU, even though the first, both of those movies don't really have much to, you know, build on what we know about the MCU. Like obviously, Thanos uh, obviously, Thanos being being the biggest part, but even then Thanos is kind of in the background, right. Of those movies. Um, for the most part, I guess with, you know, Gamora and, and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think the the action in the movie is fun. All the character moments are fun. Like, there's a lot to really, really love in this movie. And I, I think people will have a blast with it. Um, and I, I probably am going to sound more negative than I actually am on the movie. Because I, I do think from start to finish, this is a, uh, a really, really fun, violent, kind of a reverent superhero movie from start to finish that has, you know, some familiar characters that we actually liked from, uh, that first one with Margot Robbie and even like seeing Jai Courtney come back and like, and, um, and Rick flag, like they do some things in this movie that make you like, you care about Rick flag. And I never thought that was going to happen either. So there's like a lot of good stuff in here. Um, I have a little bit of a problem with the opening of the movie and we don't have to go too much into it, but like, cause I don't want to spoil things for people. Um, but, um, thought it was super predictable and I thought I would have liked, you know, a little bit more from that, uh, instead of just the sight gags we got. Um, and I feel like I, maybe we'll talk about it spoilery at another time, or maybe at the very end of this episode, we'll just say we're, we're going to do a few spoiler kind of talk things, but, um, or maybe not because we're going to post this before it comes out. So I just want to leave it. But uh, I think there are some things that I would have been like, I would have rathered them do something like this. And I feel like those moments would have paid off a little bit more. And I feel like I was a little underwhelmed by that. But uh, overall, like I think it's an enjoyable movie, if not a little derivative to for me where I'm like, you know, what, I've kind of seen this movie two times before where I'm like, I get why you hired this guy. I get it. Um, and I, I was, I, Perfectly enjoyable, but it never kind of crossed that bar to get to exceed my expectations.
1: Right. And and I don't disagree with any of, of what you're saying. I just think that it, you know, for fans of, you know. The genre <laughs> of the genre, but, but specifically I mean, of, of low grade splatter movies of the yeah. late 80s into the early 90s. I'm specifically referencing like Toxic Avenger and, and, yep. and things like that, where that also had a kid's cartoon, weirdly enough, for an R rated, you know, trilogy of pulpy yeah.
0: B movies with bad monster effects. Did you notice that Lloyd Kaufman has a cameo in the movie? Yeah, there's a he's, there's yeah. there's
1: a couple cameos throughout the film um, that, I mean, you know, eagle-eyed viewers will definitely notice um, or references to other uh, trauma-based productions. But I think that's kind of the charm of this movie because even more so than Guardians, there does seem to be more practical effects yeah. uh, in, in this film. And again, it's he's allowed to get away with more and it kind of feels like you're just letting Gunn kind of run with it. And with that, I kind of just appreciated the overall sort of goofy splatter effects and yeah. sort of the character moments that do take you by surprise you mentioned King Shark and Ratcatcher but I also think that um uh blood Spot um or sport. Bloodsport?
0: Yeah, but blood uh, Idris yeah. Elba's
1: character and and Rat Catcher 2 also have this surrogate father-daughter relationship yeah. that sort of bonds well with the themes of those relationships. That again, it's not deep or anything, but it works for, you know, these characters on a perilous mission and they might not make it out or they won't make it out for some of them and sort of how that plays upon sort of their emotions and sort of making the choices that they do throughout the film and if you just are looking for like a solid sort of almost war-esque storyline i mean one of the editors on this movie is fred ask uh, fred yeah. raskin who is quentin tarantino's, tarantino's editor and yeah. and it does feel like it's something that tarantino Remember and the Fast and the Furious franchise <laughs> <laughs> right it feels like something that tarantino would love like, this is like, I or, think so or maybe yeah, yeah. he won't like it because it's people predicting that he would like it and he doesn't want to go against convention. Yeah. yeah
0: that's true. Too.
1: Um, but watching the film, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a solid genre film yeah. with a superhero budget. And that is rare for you know, a blockbuster, Um, and obviously the reason why Gunn got that is because of the Guardians movies, and because yeah. of you know the he falling got free reign to do what
0: he wanted, and he got to bring a little bit of old school James Gunn into what the new school James Gunn was, right? Yeah. So
1: it's not as surprising, and I think that's also another thing where it's like, okay, the 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 surprise of the film isn't necessarily, oh, we got a James Gunn sort of uh, comic book movie. It's more so that oh, James Gunn was able to make the film he wanted to and to a certain degree with the first guardians film uh that was kind of a similar situation where guardians was this weird outlier when it was first going into production and it felt like okay well i
0: remember making fun of it remember yeah well
1: yeah yeah we were making fun of it all the time the idea of a talking tree and and raccoon Raccoon, and and, you know hiring Dave batista to be one of your your sort of main ensemble cast members and then now look at it and, and we're basically you know uh putting our, our foot in our mouth for that and oh and,
0: absolutely yeah
1: but but it worked because it seemed like gun was basically left alone where with guardians 2 even though it still is somewhat self-contained it was sort of slowly being integrated into the rest of the mcu and the overall arc and i wonder what guardians 3 will be like having you know thor love and thunder incorporate those characters and also with avengers uh infinity war and end game um sort of using them in a certain way so when you get to the third guardians movie how that all kind of plays out but again comparing it to um uh guardians like you look again like day batista being cast playing to his strengths john cena Mm -hmm. john cena is best used in roles that are unsuspecting the movies he's in aren't necessarily great but when you think of like kind of standout roles that work for him or he's actually funny it's it's you know pazuzu the drug dealer and sure. sisters the yeah. amy uh, uh polar tina fey movie or the dad
0: and blockers, blockers right, right? Yeah.
1: where or even in train wreck like those yeah. are the roles that work the best for him where he's kind of playing into his macho kind of persona you get F9 and it's just so ridiculous and over the top but Gunn's able to kind of marry those things together really well where it's like okay this is a character you would see him playing in a comic book movie but he's able to subvert your expectations on how the character is portrayed Mm -hmm. in the film and how the performance is conveyed to the rest of the ensemble and how that character kind of works within sort of the existing sort of dynamics.
0: Yeah and his rivalry with you know uh, Bloodsport I think is more believable and there's more chemistry there than him and Vin Diesel in F9. Oh, totally.
1: There's this weird kind of – there's an animosity there, but there's almost a little bit of kind of like – you know, tip of the hat when when it calls for it, like especially with like you know the types of bullets they're using and yeah. sort of the game because they, they play. both have a
0: similar uh, skill set, right? Like that's yeah. kind of the 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 joke there. But yeah, I thought they played uh, to each other's strengths really well, and I agree with you with Cena. It's just like like in, in things like Bumblebee and and F nine, where you're supposed to be. I mean, F nine, you're not really supposed to be taking him seriously. But the thing is to you know, everyone's taking it seriously, which makes it fun. But then when something's a little bit more self-aware with who John Cena is and playing to his strengths, like I think it works much better with something like Peacemaker. Yeah. And Um, especially
1: because he's playing a company man in this as well, still where I think that actually does work. And I actually really like Viola Davis as kind of the villain of the piece in, in a way where, you know, you have this great actor not only menacing the the other cast members, but is truly and utterly unapologetically unlikable. Like is is Absolutely, Amanda yeah. Waller in this movie specifically. Is not only tough; she's cruel, and to the point where you think she should be on this mission with all these other villains.
0: Yeah, she is. Yeah, I, I think very much she is the villain of the movie. But then to criticize something else, I felt the the other actual villains in the movie were a little generic to me and yeah. uh, and forgettable. And I I get like it's not a spoiler. We've seen Star Starro. Sorry, I'm gonna get keep getting this wrong because Eric keeps calling it Starmy or whatever. No, you <laughs> Star- were right. You you you, you yeah. said Star. Oh, it's Starro. You kept saying star you or whatever. Yeah, because car. of Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Starro in this is interesting, too, because you even brought it up and you brought up Invincible. And um, I'm not super familiar with Starro. And I'm sure Starro came before uh, the, uh, the sequids in or sequids in, in Invincible. Um, but similar powers and after just rereading invincible and seeing it uh done on the tv show recently where they kind of planted the seeds for where that storyline's going um to see it condensed into this movie and then um kind of put into this last act and you have this big, you know, Kaiju third act kind of thing, which is fun. And I like the design of, uh, of Starro it's colorful. He's kind of weird looking and, and like the, the face hugger kind of elements are cool, but then I would kept thinking of invincible and, and how they develop that storyline. And I I hate to compare the two and cause invincible is really just taking different things from the superhero Marvel DC everywhere and kind of creating their own thing from it. Um, So the Starro thing, I've, I I sort of worked for me, but then I found the um the the two guys um uh the two villains in the movie. I see, like I don't even know their names. The two but, military characters. Yeah, well, one of them is um, Luna because the called of it the Maltese, yeah the Luna
1: like, regime,
0: right? Yes, yeah. And then so the Silvia, other Sylvia Luna and Mateo Suarez. So yeah, so those two guys. And yeah. and the one actor was in Quantum of Solace. Um, he was right, one of like the right. sub villains in that. And so they, they just both felt super forgettable to me. And I get what you're saying with Waller. And then I go back to birds of prey and I feel like you and McGregor to me, I just fucking loved him in that movie so much. And he brought so much energy to that performance. And for me in a superhero movie, like you need to have like a a memorable villain. And I think Waller is good, but she's not, she's in like a couple scenes and she's very menacing in those scenes. And she's a presence throughout the movie, right on the earpiece and different things. But she goes away for a long time as the mission, you know, is going and she comes back near the end. And then your villains in the movie are these, uh, Corto Maltese guys. And I just felt that they were completely forgettable. And like, I like the moment with Harley and um, I, I and um, this Silvio Luna um, character um, who is the president, right? Yeah, of uh, uh, of Corto Maltese. And um, I like that moment with her and everything. But um, and yeah, I, I just like Harley more. And she's kind of in the background in this movie. And I get why you include her to have that through line. And and she is a character people uh and margot robbie's great obviously and she really owns that character but like i just really liked her having the spotlight in birds of prey and i like that group uh, of women that come together in that movie with this with this great villain which maybe caught me by surprise and why i really liked that um but i think they're close like i think both are really good fun movies um i just when we're talking about villains i think it is really important and the Starro thing. I know you had a great point though of even making Starro even kind of sympathetic.
1: Yeah, well, he. I mean, Gun makes all the, the creatures villains, from yeah, like yeah. specifically the creatures from yeah. King Shark, Weasel to, you know, Starro, um, sympathetic villains. Yes, they're monsters and they are capable of immense destruction. But at the same time, they're not completely void of empathy. You know, you, you, you see the situations that they've been put in and you kind of have a a connection or understanding that, you know, they're not really, it's like Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster is a destructive force, but it's not necessarily Frankenstein's monster's fault that it's come into existence. It's the creator. It's the people that have manhandled, you know, this, this creature and brought it into the world. And in this case, in uh, Starro's point of view, (laughs) him to earth, right? Like, like, it's just one of those things where, or he's just like,
0: if you would have fucking left me alone.
1: Like, yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's ultimately what people want in the yeah. world is to be left alone and to control their own destiny and their own fate. And that's kind of what this movie is doing in a very tongue in cheek kind of way. And I don't disagree with you with Margot Robbie, uh, you know, with Harley Quinn specifically kind of being almost a plot device for the new team to kind of regroup in a, in a, in a sequence. Um, but I also do like the idea that a lead character can be a supporting yeah, character totally, in another movie. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting, and I think that she is a team player, and she plays well with the other characters, and feels Agreed. like that sort of camaraderie that is created
0: is sincere. Um, especially like even the relationship with her and Captain Boomerang and well, stuff even like with that. with Rick kinda, Flag, like Rick it, 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 it yeah. kind of
1: feels like okay, are they going to set up like a romantic thing? <laughs> but it's more platonic, platonic no, than anything else. Because they went through that first movie, which they've makes, been through you know, shit together, yeah. literally, and yeah. and and now you know they have that bond, and 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 Rick Flag. Again, Joel Kinnaman is a guy that was just way better, in this so movie. blank yeah. in that first movie. But you come to actually respect him and like him as a personality here, um, and that could also just be the writing is a little bit better. And there's moments where you know Gun, as a writer, understands sort of pathos and 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 developing a character and sort of seeing certain moments through. And those moments in this movie help to add that because we've always talked about this with with comic book movies the best stuff isn't really the action set pieces it's the dynamics and the relationships that are built throughout the film and that's why they succeed and that's why i even think the third act in this movie works really really well because you are sympathetic to starro you are weirdly thinking to yourself yeah this giant starfish is a destructive force but you know what it's he's not the one that wanted to be here in the first place (laughs) yeah you know and and you kind of do feel bad for him like it's like king kong it goes back to king kong where Mm -hmm. king kong is a character that you know for all intents and purposes is an animal should not have been was
0: caged up yeah and and brought back to new york
1: and and treated like garbage and ultimately it's kind of tragic and then yeah. you can look at the 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 characters in the supporting cast of of these anti-heroes and and villains like even the way that polka Dot man yes. is portrayed in this yeah. film and and i gotta say uh david uh does mulchin who there you go is really crushed wa- it yeah he's i mean like obviously a lot of people will have recognized him from you know the dark knight playing one of the the joker's thugs and then um in the ant-man movies you yes. know he's got the great baba yaga joke thing going yes, on yeah, but he's yeah. also in denny Velno's those prisoners and, and blade, blade runner yeah. 2049 but what's also really funny is that he also voiced the calendar man in the batman animated movies that just recently came out the long halloween, the long halloween films. Yeah. and yeah. calendar man's in this who's played by sean gunn and sean gunn in this movie also uh plays weasel so i just found that all that very funny and then also uh david is a comic book creator in his own right uh, he created a, a series called um count crowley so he's an avid comic book guy on top of that and he also uh wrote and co-stars in a uh, an oscilloscope film that i really really liked from a few years ago that deals with addiction in a very honest and real way called animals um so his performance in this movie again more sympathetic than just kind of like if this was made in the 90s it could have just been a one-note joke right it would have been it would have been steve buscemi and con air you sure, know, see yeah. Buscemi's kind of menacing serial killer-esque villain who has sort of mother issues. I mean, they even reference in this, you know, Norman Bates. Um, but going back, I just want to mention with Idris Elba one more time, the guy's a movie star. Yeah. You know, he has been since appearing on The Wire. It's just, like you mentioned, whether it's his agent or his own sort of choice in, in productions and, and scripts hasn't been the greatest. Here, it's this perfect blend of great action star but also he shows this comedic vulnerability that I di- I haven't really seen from him before in mm-hmm. this movie and again like I he love has this- some
0: great like kind of responses to people like under his breath and yeah, stuff like or that or even yeah.
1: reactions like there's this ongoing joke that he doesn't like rats and like yeah. this relationship that he builds with Sebastian the, Sebastian, the rat, the rat yeah. shout off- out to
0: Sebastian the rat Yeah, it reminded me of my sister's cat Georgie a shout little out to, bit to of- Sebastian and Milton <laughs> Yeah, the best little Sebastian since Parks and Recreation uh, there's a Brad tie-in. Um, but yeah, shout out to Sebastian the rat. And yeah, the whole rat gag throughout the whole thing. I thought it's very earned by the end. Like th- There's a great moment at the end of the movie that I feel like is very earned. And Idris Elba brings a lot to that with this rat, and like which shouldn't work. Right. right. But, and it also, I actually do think it
1: looks good. Like Watching it on the IMAX screen, it looks so much yeah. better than... The like, it's colorful at times. Like, that's is the, colorful, that's the thing that but I miss. It also has in these like a films. texture
0: to it. Like, you know, it's digital, but it still kind of has it. It's a, faux a, film, a, yeah. Right? And then I like the snap zooms and like the cinematography, I think is a, is a lot of fun actually throughout it. I mean a lot, sometimes a little disorienting with the kind of the twirling of the camera and maybe a little bit overboard, but for the most part, I, I actually really like the look at it. if we're talking about style though, the one thing I didn't the like chapters. At this, yeah. There's like chapter titles, which you have, you're an avid fan of this podcast. You know, I love a good chapter title, but like in this, they do kind of a environmental storytelling chapter kind of thing where sometimes they just look like, Sorry, bad after like Adobe After Effects kind of things. And I just it didn't work with me. There are times where some of them looked cool, but they do when it they're so in often. camera and when they're using yeah. them as almost like there's one shot on a roof where it's almost done as an optical illusion. Or I like the one where the leaves go across the beach. Maybe that looked almost like it was practical, but then sometimes like it just looked like bad Adobe After Effects kind of things. And I didn't need as many of them on screen as we got like, I feel like I liked the one where there were time jumps. Cause I think the movie also does fun stuff with time and perspective, right? Like seeing things from different groups or different time periods and meeting up and, you know, getting to a certain point, they'll go, you know, 10 minutes earlier or three days ago or whatever. Like I like the nonlinear storytelling that the movie has. So when the, those titles come up, Obviously, you, you gotta give you that context. It's also um, like the punchline to a
1: joke. It's like yeah. he's setting up a joke where it's like, okay, he's giving you this scene that's a whether it be intense or emotional or action-packed, but then to get there, he goes back in time, whether it be like eight minutes or two weeks or or what have you, to set up how it gets there. It's almost like the long you know, con of the joke where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is, this is the long setup
0: to get back to where
1: we are. And so I think he does that really well. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then if I'm going to criticize um, the blood sport character a little bit, it's essentially, just will smith's uh dead shot from the first movie and they, they've even talked about that that was originally written for will smith but then or or actually even that idris Elba was going to replace him as Deadshot, but then they decided to change the character because they wanted to leave it open for will smith to come back in the future so that's very well known so it's it's just very obvious in the movie both characters have a similar look uh similar skill set um, similar uh, f- like familial kind of you know plot line with their daughters and things like that so like you can just really see that they were originally going to just recast him as that character but then decided like oh let's put a different paint job on this thing does
1: bloodshot do have a military background blood sport or or bloodshot no, deadshot, blood, you deadshot you Pardon me. you deadshot. combined
0: both of their names there you go <laughs> this is how great i am like um, this is
1: this is the point where we've gotten to where like The names, I I should have just said Will Smith's character, but like, does Will Smith's character have a military background? Because I do feel that was also sort of a key point in sort of that relationship between Cena and and Elba.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm in Deadshot's uh, background, but... Um, he must I, have some military or some yeah. sort of training, because I mean, the idea of being this expert marksman, but that's exactly what Idris Elba's character is too, right? Yeah. So like, it really is just a reskin of it. Like, just like, okay, it's basically the same character, but there might be a time where Will Smith comes back. So we just kind of did something else. So th- uh, but if I I'm like the have... stuff
1: with Storm Reed as well as Idris Elba's daughter. I think I that do, that's yeah. also well-earned, but I totally agree with you where like the only difference is, you know. Elba's character has sort of a backstory or relationship with Superman, where Smith's character has this obsession with killing Batman. (laughs) Yeah. That's literally the only difference. (laughs) And also, I kind of like Elba's suit more. I think Elba looks cooler in the suit. I
0: agree. His like skull mask kind of thing. Like, even though weirdly his costume seems a little bit more modern than everyone else's in the movie. More high tech. Uh, Yeah. 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 so it kind of stands out not in a bad way just it stands out it almost feels um, like he
1: got like the upgrade right before they were you know to set out and everybody else was like oh you're on your own you just use what we you know what you we uh yeah confiscated off of you and, and what have you but this is this is funnily enough this is also a pro mask movie which i i really do sure. appreciate <laughs> yeah
0: yeah without <laughs> spoiling anything but yeah um I will give another shout out to Stallone as King Shark uh, before we wrap up. Oh, hail um, because, King like, Shark! Yeah, because like I feel King like Shark. easily like kind of contradicting what I said before, where you know King Shark is the Groot of the movie, but I feel like they give Stallone and they give the character a little bit more to do than Groot, especially because you let him emote a little bit more with full sentences and and actually conversing with people instead of just repeating. I am Groot over and over again. So you give, you know, Stallone more to do than Vin Diesel. Um, and I but, like that he,
1: he you know, in a, in a former life, he was considered a god. And yeah. the idea that this, you know, giant shark man is imprisoned with all these other characters. Because he
0: can't really talk to anyone and everyone kind of just thinks he's a doofus, right? Yeah, and, and he's I'm,
1: emotionally inept. And, and you know, Ratcatcher kind of showing him any attention that is, a, a, you know, a a human sort of relationship that isn't abusive or him not thinking that she's food um, really does open him a little bit. And, and I, again, I love the design of the character. I like that he's a middle-aged, shark guy like it's i like that he's got perfect dad bod um and then on top of that i again i think the effects work on on the character the texture the look it doesn't feel jarring or out of place when he's with the other characters i mean steve augie obviously deserves a lot of credit for you know the in-camera motion capture work that he did as you know the, the physical version of that but when you when you watch you know, the, the final version of King shark amongst the other characters, it never feels like, you know, no, like he's a cartoon off to the character side or, or something. Yeah. yeah like, like he feels like you could literally touch him you no, know, while he you're has standing a, next yes, to him. Yes. I totally and I agree want an action with that. figure of him. I don't collect action figures and stuff like that, but it's like, I was even thinking, I was even telling you afterwards, I would hug this guy. Like oh, he yeah. is just, I want a street shark. It's just yeah. a big
0: sweetie. I do agree with you. You made the point a long time ago that James Gunn should make an Earthworm Jim movie. Oh, and totally. Like, After
1: this, I, I yeah. he needs to do that movie. But again, like, like it I could would love be, that. It's it's a little be seen derivative, yeah. derivative or repetitive, and he yeah. might not want to do that. He might want to make something like another Slither, which you know, again, he's had to have seen Night of the Creeps. <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep saying that every time <laughs> we we talk about James Gunn. I I don't care, but but I do like his team building films. I think that he is one yeah. of the stronger filmmakers working right now, even though he can put it, I can in his balance mouth.
0: this many people and like, yeah. And make yeah. everybody have a moment, Their even moment, if it's yeah.
1: a small little thing, or if you can, you can see it like that's the, that's the other thing that you mentioned, you know, there are certain scenes, whether they be sight gags or, you know, plot twists or reveals or sort of moments of, of shock and yeah. provocation That you can see coming a mile away, especially if you're somebody that has seen a lot of comic book movies or seen a lot of war movies or been
0: following the marketing, anything like that. Yeah. But
1: if you just enjoy it for what it is on a surface level and also think about like how much of an improvement this is compared to Suicide Squad and also the majority of the DCEU movies, you're going to have a good time. Whether or not you want to see it in the theater or wait, um, I still think that it's the step in the right direction for the de for the dc i absolutely
0: agree i think they've been doing like i didn't even have joker but we consider joker no because i guess it's a it's not in the same universe but who knows with the continuity of this now because like um I, i do think that with they've been getting better and better and DC, you know, with their failures with a lot of the Snyder stuff. I mean, some people like it. That's cool. But, um, they've kind of given their filmmakers, which is something we talked about with Marvel in phase three and beyond as well, like more control and letting them just make a good movie. Like it doesn't have to tie into everything. We'll deal with continuity or not continuity, like whatever, who gives a shit essentially. Um, and they just let their, you know, make a good movie. And I think with birds of prey now and with, um, the suicide squad and even something like Joker, um, like it, they're just going, let's just try to make the best movie we can and not have to have it tie into everything. And it's going to be interesting with things like um, Flashpoint coming up where you have Michael Keaton in there and you're, you're kind of maybe giving an explanation why, so, just like in Marvel with Loki and, and What If and, and different multiverse stuff of creating these multiverses. And and this is a conversation I had with Tim on the 97th draft, which you guys can go listen to. Of just, like, I wasn't there, aw- so I'm not listening. Yeah, uh, how audiences uh, like mod, like we talked about being a little bit too in the weeds, or if you're obsessed over this stuff, you might see some of these twists or shocking moments coming. But uh, I think we're getting to a point where, you know, uh, an everyday audience that, like my mom, who loves superhero movies and she loves the MCU, and she's starting to grasp the concept of a multiverse and like how these movies are kind of interconnected but they're not at the same time or they could be and like um or they don't have to be like okay Harley Quinn appeared in this and that but maybe it's you know it doesn't necessarily have to directly uh like be a one to one kind of um thing with the first suicide squad movie so like I think that stuff's mattering less and less on the DC side. And we're going to see that with the Batman coming up as well, being in a completely separate thing on its own. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited at the future and, and they've shown that, you know, they can learn from their sort of mistakes, right? But they can and then, also
1: take a couple steps back in yeah. the
0: progress because the first Wonder
1: Woman movie, you know, looking in the rear view mirror sure. might not be as considered as, as, as high a benchmark now with birds of prey and the suicide squad but for a while there it was, it was the, the good dceu
0: yeah. movie i still and think it, it's number three at yeah least. no it
1: is still i still like it a, a yeah. lot like it's a lot it's just the third act of many superhero movies yes. is the biggest yeah. problem with that film um but you look at that movie and it's like for all the promise that had and the excitement that it built up and what came with the sequel of 1984 yeah it was which, so disappointing yeah right yeah. and it kind of feels like okay warner brothers now has, now we have expectations again <laughs> yeah and it's scary to have those expectations because i want like I, I, i'll ask this question to you like what do you see do you see these characters in the suicide squad Popping up in other places now. I mean, obviously, we saw Boomerang sort of have a, a, a quick cameo in sort of setting up Flash's character very briefly. And then, even in the first Suicide Squad movie, you know ben affleck's batman was there and and what have you but do we see someone like you know harley quinn or Ratcatcher or king shark pop up in like an actual batman movie that is a part of the dceu or the flash you know in a future flash movie because king shark's a a villain in that universe
0: yeah um I don't know, to be honest. Like, I do think that Margot Robbie's in for the long haul with Harley Quinn and she's gamed if they do that Gotham City Sirens movie that they've been talking about. And I know we talked about it after we saw this today and going, do you think they'll still do that? And I think if she's game for it and they find the right director for it, whether kathy ann comes back uh i don't know um but a gotham city sirens movie could be cool but i know birds of prey kind of underperformed didn't it or yeah it didn't it didn't do that well and and it kind of it was right as the pandemic
1: was happening, yeah. right? So it was one of like the last movies that played theatrically in yeah. that February, in, February, in that yeah. first quarter, right? So you had films like the, um, speaking of, of Storm Reed, who was in uh, uh, The Invisible uh, Man, yeah. you know, yeah. you had that movie, you had Birds of Prey, and you know, a lot of people weren't expecting anything with The Invisible Man, and that was the movie that did better
0: than sure. Birds yeah. of Prey. So I don't know if they'll go the Gotham City Sirens route or whether you include Margot Robbie and other stuff. Like, I do think this movie will be successful. And then you're already seeing, you know, uh, a spin-off with with Peacemaker, right? So that means these characters are going to show up in the larger DCEU because this does take place in that original DCEU universe, right? So then what what happens with Flashpoint? And that's, I think... The biggest thing here and much like we were waiting for uh, multiverse of madness and the new spider-man movie on the mcu side of things i think it really kind of hinges on what flashpoint does for that universe like because they can do anything like i really love the flashpoint comics i think it is an awesome um event series in the dc and they used it to reboot the comics and i think they'll obviously do that to kind of go hey we know this universe means a lot to a lot of people. We know people like Batfleck. We know we like the Snyderverse. Like, We'll make sure that those movies still mean something, even if they didn't quite work as a whole, and we're going to hit a reset point, which will be this Flashpoint movie, and whether Michael Keaton sticks around to be the Batman in the DCEU or what I think will happen is a Batman beyond movie is what we're going to get after that. And then, and then Batgirl, the series as and well. And Batgirl right? is, yeah, that's another one. And, and didn't they say, Oh, um, uh, wasn't, uh, J.K. Jeff, Simmons, J.K. Simmons. And then um, Leslie
1: Grace was cast, um, from yeah. in the Heights, uh, as yeah. Batgirl.
0: So, um, you're seeing some connective tissue with these movies that we originally thought were just going to be swept under the rug and go, yeah, okay. We're getting rid of the justice league, uh, just Snyder kind of stuff. And you're seeing that trickle through. And I think they're going to, you know, pick and choose who they want to continue. And I think you're going to have some standouts from this movie. I think people will really like, um, Idris Elba's blood sport. I think people will really like King shark and like, but you've kind of make, made them without spoiling the entire movie. Um, it's hard to do an anti-hero or villains movie where they're all kind of bad people, but you kind of have to still cheer for them in this movie. So to make them pure villains again, it's hard to go back to that point. Although I would um, argue
1: that someone like Ratcatcher 2, um, isn't necessarily a, a pure villain. She's a character of, of circumstance. And I also sure. think that there is. You know, I I don't consider James Gunn to be a, a socially aware person, but I do think that there is an interesting sort of commentary on how you know the homeless are invisible to the rest of the world and how you know they they feel sort of. And some of the best out. villains
0: have a great story like that, right? Yeah. So there might be a way that you know they'll they show up as a villain but you really understand their plight or what they're going through and that makes a really great villain right where you're they're not necessarily wrong because they're the hero in their story which i think you could take some of these people and make a great like make them a legit great villain from that uh to your point so that that's that's a great thing eric i I wasn't thinking that way um Yeah, and I don't know. And then I want to give a shout out to the people we haven't really talked about much, but love seeing obviously Michael Rooker with that long white hair. Sweet. Um, (laughs) Nathan Fillion has a really weird moment with his detachable kid arms like – um i think is really really great uh weasel is, is just disturbing <laughs> like, but weirdly again um, kind
1: of charming in a weird yeah, like kind of like yeah.
0: creepy way where it's like yeah
1: it's almost like you would have like an action figure of him if you were a kid
0: yeah and Flew Leborg, who i i love as well um and just a lot of great uh, supporting cast that kind of pops up and um and has some great moments. So um, Pete Davidson yeah. basically p- playing <laughs> Pete Davidson, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is great. Um, again, I, when it comes to the cameos and, and other things in the movie, I would have liked them to be even more self aware. And I was saying to you, like, I would have liked. There is a cameo from someone in Guardians of the Galaxy. We won't spoil it, but like, but it's almost um,
1: it's we're not going to spoil it. But it's almost one of those it's, ones that's don't hard expect, to kind yeah. yeah, like it's not a. Yeah. It's nothing integral to the plot. Chris Pratt doesn't show up. Yeah. Like,
0: um, uh, Dave Bautista doesn't yeah, show sadly, up. Yeah, sadly, Chris like, Pratt doesn't show up as uh, as Condiment King, which is sure, a Sure, yeah. But then that's what I was talking to you where I would have loved something like that. And I don't know if, that would have been okay or if they would have gotten the go ahead to do something like they that like they've, have. that yeah. gu-
1: guaranteed that that like i know what you're talking about and know what we were talking about yeah. outside of the film and and i do think that that would have been kind of funny because it's almost like you're being presented with the yeah. dream team quote unquote yeah. yeah um and then again like having these characters or these actors known for one thing playing these other characters and it does it that would be amazing but unfortunately because of contracts and this weird sort of division even though it's not necessarily a rivalry in a kind of mean-spirited way or anything it's just you know
0: i just think that would have been a uh, a worthwhile gag and like the, the thing that we got in the movie, I wasn't completely satisfied with because there's I, I would have liked it to either involve guardians characters or I would have liked them to bring back. I mean, they do bring back quite a few people from the first movie. You get Jai Courtney, you get Viola Davis, you get Kinnaman, you get Margot Robbie, but like if they would have had like Will Smith and Jay Hernandez and, and killer, killer Croc. Croc and, and Enchantress and uh you know, whoever from that first movie, even Jared Leto, Um, (laughs) I would have loved a moment that kind of dealt with those characters in an interesting way. And we get that in a different way here. I just, would have liked that to be built up a little bit more. And I feel like the way you get around that is to use established characters or be very meta with it. And the, it is sort of meta with the with the casting uh, of certain people um, just who are familiar to James Gunn and things like that. But well, a lot of these like C
1: and D level tier villains are characters that, you know, aren't necessarily like fans are like, oh, well, you didn't portray that character in in, in the right way. You didn't sort of uh, make him um, sort of the way that you envision him in the comic books. You can kind of take more of a, a, a an artistic license with these characters and sort of model them after the narrative or, or, or play them into the narrative in an interesting way than sort of having, okay, well, we have to, one, do an origin story uh, in a traditional manner, but two, we have to make sure that we have these specific moments that are key to that character. It's like, I don't, I don't care who weasel is other than the fact that weasel sure. eats children, which is just funny <laughs> because he's a terrifying looking creature. Yeah. And like, that's, I don't, I don't care like where, where he fits into the rest of the, you know, the, the DC universe overall. Yeah. And it's the same thing with, you know, although I know that, you know, uh, Condiment King is is a Batman villain. Like it's like I yeah. don't need to know his origin. It's just a stupid no, yeah. sort of character that is a hot dog vendor on the street. You know that one character I, I feel like a lot of people like fans of sort of the Task Force X crew maybe were disappointed isn't in this film or isn't a character and and people wanted her in the first one i think as well was was killer frost um i think was a character that a lot of people did kind of were, were thinking oh that's a fan favorite and i
0: think if you continue this you um could bring in a different filmmaker and just have basically a whole new cast and maybe you bring a couple people back right just like they did with the first movie right like i don't think it needs to be the same people each movie and maybe they go off to do different things or maybe you just don't utilize the same group that's what the suicide squad is right like it's a ragtag group of people and it doesn't necessarily mean it's the same people each time yeah. so um, I will say the movie does play to Jai Courtney's strengths, and I will <laughs> I will leave it at that. It might be his greatest um, performance. <laughs> it probably is. Uh, I had a really good time with the movie. Uh, I, like I I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning. I think I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. I think it's a blast. Um, it just didn't blow me away um blast it it didn't it Um, didn't blow you into pieces the way that some other people might have been blown into pieces and like i I think it you know it's exactly kind of what you'd expect from a james gunn r-rated superhero movie uh based on what we saw in you know you mentioned super but then also guardians one and two um and i think it's an amalgamation of kind of all of that as well as his earlier trauma stuff to what eric was pointing out so um i think it'll be a lot of people's thing. it is my thing. I just didn't blow me away. So I'm going to give it uh, a three and a half. I think it is a thoroughly enjoyable movie with some great moments and some great character beats. Um, And maybe it'll grow on me. Like I do want to watch it again. Like I, I would have a lot of fun watching it again. So I think that's saying something. And I think it's the second best DCEU movie. And I think they've had back to back like to get birds of prey and this movie from that first Suicide Squad movie is a miracle. So uh that I think that's a They were so. able to
1: salvage yeah. um, you know, the, the this franchise in a way yeah. that, you know, it probably doesn't deserve. But at the same time, it gives you hope that maybe they can continue on this path and and maybe you know, look to how both the Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey were made, where it almost seems like there wasn't that much of interference from Warner Brothers, where again, like Marvel has taken over for Guardians in a certain way because of it being one of its most successful um, series within the MCU. And I could almost see that now happening with at least the Suicide Squad if it makes the kind of money that it's projected to over the next month or so, or if it just does, I mean, it's already doing well critically. Um, but I was blown to smithereens with this movie and just had a good time. Like I just, I was reminded watching this film of what a good time was at the movies and and i think that that we need that
0: right now too
1: that was the most important thing whether or not it's a great movie but in the context of the dceu i think it's the best so far yeah um but i also just again this even more so than f9 or uh escape room tournament of champions (laughs) like this kind of felt like a great summer movie You know, to quote Keith Habesberger, this was worth savoring the summer over. I I agree. I
0: agree. So I I, give, I have to, I'm going to give this. Four staros out of five. I love it. I love it. Um, Thank you all for listening. Uh, I really do think you should go check out Suicide Squad if it's safe um, in your area to go see it in a theater. Yeah, yeah. I think in a theater, um, but again, I don't think it'll hinder your experience if you have a a decent TV and sound system if you're in the US and want to watch it on HBO Max. But we saw it in IMAX and it was uh, quite a spectacle. So, yeah. if you like this, uh, like I mentioned, we have another show called The Untitled Movie Podcast, which we are back to doing every single Monday. Uh, this past Monday was our 97th draft where uh, Eric was out sick. So uh, my friend Tim Gettys from Kind of Funny. Not um, COVID related. I just want no, no, no. uh, yeah, yeah. to say that. Migraine due to working out. Yes. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yes, we'll go with that story. (laughs) No, true. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So Tim joined me uh, from Kind of Funny to talk about uh, where we think the movie and TV industry will be in five years. We touch on superhero stuff, MCU stuff, uh, a lot of really awesome things. So go check out that episode. Well, not only uh, that, you're on Kind of Funny
1: Reactions
0: uh, talking about the Green Knight
1: and sort of giving your uh, perspective on the film and
0: recommending David Lowry's
1: uh, a ghost a story. story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you guys can go check out uh, kind of funny reactions either on YouTube or on uh, podcast services. So youtube.com slash kind of funny. If you want to find uh, the video version or just search kind of funny reactions on your podcast service of choice, it'll be the green night review. It was myself, uh, Chris Anka, uh, Kevin Coelho and Tim Geddes. We, uh, I joined them for their review of The Green Knight. So you might have listened to our 40-minute review. Now you can go listen to that 40-minute review and get some different perspectives because it was really cool to... Um, I mean, I love reviewing movies with Eric obviously, but it's it's fun to hear what other people think and, and discuss movies um, with a different kind of crew that all have different backgrounds of how they kind of enjoy movies and and things like that. So Heads it, will roll. Um, They will. So go check that out. Um, As well as uh, we have a bunch of other reviews uh, speaking of the Green Knight, you can listen to our review of the Green Knight. Uh, we also have a review for Jungle Cruise, Stillwater, Zola, uh, G.I. Joe Georgian, Snake Eyes, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Uh, uh, we previewed Dune, the IMAX experience. It's our prune. Uh, the aforementioned Escape Room Tournament of Champions. Which, uh, you can by the way, out. David uh, um, Mulchin is in Dune there you go and then the aforementioned f9 and a quiet place part two so lots of reviews up on the channel right now that you guys can check out we'll have a new episode of untitled movie podcast this coming monday our 98th draft um getting close to 100 We are, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Go check out our Letterboxd HQ over at Untitled Podcasts. All of our kind of lists. We'll put up our DCEU rankings for both Eric and I. Uh, So we have rankings of a bunch of different movies, our personal profiles, our ratings, uh, our schedules, different things like that. So go check it out over on Letterboxd HQ. Oh,
1: and lastly, we should say... TIFF is coming up, and we're both accredited.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that on the next draft for sure in detail because we have more announcements from the Contemporary World Cinema and Midnight Madness programs, and I think we'll even have – actually, we might miss out on the – platform thing next week while i'm at the cottage but we'll so catch uh, up afterwards. But we'll catch up on that, that afterwards but yeah very excited to cover tiff so it should be a blast uh untitled underscore cast on all those other social medias and you can follow me uh around the internet mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and on podcast services as well as on all those social medias at matt roerbeck and I'm Eric Marchand. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com. scene.
1: That's why I have my soundproof booth uh, and on the social it's medias.
0: Fancy <laughs> boy.
1: And on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. I don't want to do your dirty work no more.